0: CHAPTER SIX OF SWATI, A STORY OF REAL BOYS. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. READ BY DALE BARKLEY. SWATI, A STORY OF REAL BOYS. BY ELLIS PARKER BUTLER. THE CARDINAL'S Signet RING WELL, FOR ABOUT A DAY, I GUESS BONY THOUGHT HE WAS ABOUT THE SMARTEST KID THAT EVER LIVED. Anyhow, he acted that way, and the reason was that his house had been burglared, and mine and Swati's houses hadn't been. But that wasn't our fault. Swati didn't say much because he thought maybe the burglar would come around and burglar his house, and then he would be as good as Boney. But the burglar didn't go to any more houses, and me and Swati got pretty sick and tired of hearing Boney bragging about the burglar climbing right in at his window and almost falling over his bed, and about how, if he had wakened up, he would have gone into his father's room and got his father's shotgun and shot the burglar. We got pretty sick of hearing about the reward Boney's father had offered, and about how the policeman came to the house and looked at Boney's bedroom window and everything and wrote it all down. "'Gosh,' Swatty said, "'it ain't nothing to brag about to be burglared. "'The way you talk, you'd think nobody in the world could be burglared but you.'" If I wanted to, I could write to my uncle in Durlingport, and he'd send down a burglar to burglar my house in a minute, and he'd burglar Georgie's house too, and my uncle would send down a real burglar too. That was a good one on Boney, because the newspaper said the policeman said the burglar that burglared Boney's house wasn't a real burglar, but only local talent. Well, well, and he said, "Well, if your uncle can send down so many real burglars, why don't he do it and not leave you sitting there talking about what he can do all the time?" Ah, if you say much more about your old burglar, I will write to my uncle to send some down," Swatty said. "On, if he did, he wouldn't get nothing. What'd he get at your house? I bet he wouldn't get any cardinal's signet ring." Well, I guess that made Swatty pretty mad. I guess we had heard about all we wanted to hear about that old signet ring. So Swatty started to go away, and he said to me, "'Come on, he thinks there ain't nothing in the world "'but that old signet ring. "'I bet it was brass anyway.'" The cardinal's signet ring wasn't brass because it said in the newspaper it was gold. I guess I knew plenty about that signet ring before the burglar ever got it because once Boney told us about it when we were at his house, and he would have showed it to us only his mother would not let him. It had been in the family from generation unto generation. So when Boney's mother would not let us see it because her hands were in the dough and boys are too careless, Boney told us what it was like and said he guessed it was worth a million dollars, or maybe a hundred anyway, because it was solid gold and had a red carved stone in it, and the cardinal had given it to his son, and he had given it to his son, and it had always been in the family. So I said, aw, taint so, because cardinals couldn't give anything to their sons, they don't have any sons to give anything to. Well, this cardinal gave this ring to his son, so he did, Boney said. This cardinal had a son. No, he didn't, I said. I guess I know about cardinals. They don't have any sons. They can't have sons. That's the law. Well, Boney didn't know what to say, because he knew I was right, because I read a lot of books, and he don't. So if it hadn't been for Swati, I don't know what we would have done about it. I guess me and Boney would have been mad at each other forever, or had a fight or something, But Swati had just been listening and spoke up. Aw, he said, that ain't nothing to fight about. The cardinal's signet ring could be an heirloom from generation to generation, and the cardinal needn't have any son either. He could give it to his grandson, couldn't he? Of course he could, Moni said. That's what he did. Sure he did, said Swati. That's how all cardinals do. When they want to start an heirloom going, they look around for a son to give it to, and when they haven't any sons, they give the heirloom to their grandsons. Well, the burglary was about Monday of the last week of school, and about Tuesday we were sick and tired of it, me and Swaddy was, but we didn't know how to shut Boney up, because we couldn't have burglars come to our houses just because we wished they would. So Tuesday after school, when I went home, my sister Fan was out in the side yard, where the vines grow on the porch, and she was down on her hands and knees. Fan had been looking pretty sick for a good while, and it was because Herb had gone back on her, or her on him. I felt mighty sorry for her, even if she was my sister, and Mother said she was worried and that the only thing to cheer Fan up would be to send her somewhere, far from the scene. So Fan had said she would go. So there she was on her knees in the grass, and when she saw me, she said, Georgie, what? I said, Georgie, she said, I lost a ring here, one with just one diamond in it. I know, the ring Herb gave you. Yes, if you find it for me, George," she said. "I'll give you, I'll give you ten dollars. Well, I tried to divide three into ten, and you can't do it. So I said, maybe I can find it for fifteen dollars because that would be five dollars a piece for me and Swati and Boney.' Van looked at me and then said, "Very well, find it if you can, please." And that wasn't like Fan, because what she would mostly say would be, You little imp, you know where that ring is. You get it this instant, her father will attend to you. So I knew she was pretty sick about Herb. Well, as soon as Fan said that, I skipped out the back way, over to Swatty's, and asked him for the ring, because we had had it in partnership, and I had let him have it a while. I told him what I wanted it for, and he said, I ain't got it. I thought you or Boney had it. I gave it to Boney. So we went over to Boney's house. And the minute we said, ring, he was scared stiff. It was stole, he said. The burglar stole it out of my pants pocket. But I didn't say nothing because I guessed the police would get it back again. So that was a nice one, wasn't it? So me and Swati were mad at Boney, and we wouldn't talk to him or let him play with us unless we got the ring back. And none of the policemen caught Boney's burglar. Boney's father printed a reward of $50 in the newspaper, But my father said that whoever caught the burglar wouldn't be half as lucky if he caught him as he would if he ever got $50 out of Boney's father because my father would be blessed if he believed Boney's father had ever seen $50 at one time. So maybe the policemen knew that. Anyway, they did not catch the burglar. I guess folks thought he would never be caught, and he never would have been if it hadn't been for me and Swatty and Mamie Little. I guess he would have never been caught, if Mamie Little had known how to spell sulfur. The burglar got plenty of other things from Boney's house, too, but the signet ring is the thing I'm telling about because it was the signet ring that helped Swatty to catch the burglar. That and Mamie Little. Only Mamie Little didn't know she helped until I told her, and then she didn't understand any better than she did about the sulfur bag. I guess nobody will know unless I tell it, so I'll tell it. Thursday afternoon, I went past Mamie Little's yard about 5 o'clock, and she was trying to fix up a couple of old boxes to make a playhouse, and I leaned on the fence and was glad I was there because nobody else was there to see me. So I said, Aw, that's no way to make a playhouse out of boxes. Oh, dear, she said. I know it ain't. I want this one on top of the other one, but I can't lift it. I bet I could lift it, I said. I know you could, she said. Boys are stronger than girls. If you don't tell anybody, I said, I'll come in and lift it for you. So I went in and lifted it, and she was glad. She said it made a dandy upstairs for her playhouse, and she said boys were fine because they were so strong. So I felt pretty good. So she took a hammer and began to nail some nails to make shelves and things, and I told her girls didn't know how to nail, and she said she knew they didn't. So I took the hammer, and just then I saw Swati coming. So I threw down the hammer mighty quick and said, I gotta go now. My mother wants me, but if you want me to... I'll come over Saturday, and we'll fix up the playhouse nice. So she did want me to, and I said I'd come, and I felt gladder than I had ever felt before, and I dodged behind the lilac bushes and got out of her yard the back way, and Swaty did not see me, so that was all right. Well, I guess there was diphtheria or scarlet fever or something in town then, and anyway, my mother and lots of the kids' mothers made us wear sulfur bags. That was so we wouldn't catch it, whatever it was. They were little bags about as big as a watch, and there was sulfur in them, and asiofididi, or asofidida, or asofididi, or whatever you spell it. It smells pretty rank, but it keeps away whatever you might catch. Well, going to school, Swatty met me, and he said, "'Say, let's go fishing down the slough tomorrow.' "'I can't, Swatty, I said, because I wanted to do what I had said I would do for Mamie Little. Only I didn't want to tell Swatty that, so I said, "'I've got to stay home and work.' Pshaw," Swati said, only he said it pashar, like he always does. If you can't go, I won't go either. If you can't go, I'm going to stay home and split the wood I ought to split. Well, I can't go, I said. So we went into the schoolhouse and into our room. Mamie Little was there. She had just hung up her hat, and she was standing by her desk, nearly across the room. And she looked fine. Her cheeks were so red, and her eyes were kind of sparkly. There were only one or two there besides us. So while she was standing by her desk, she sort of picked at her dress on her chest a couple of times the way I had been picking at my shirt front. And I was glad to think she had a sulfur bag too, like I had. It was nice to think we both had the same, only she didn't know I had one. So I whistled a little whistle, and she looked at me. I guess she smiled at me. I felt mighty brave. So I started with a deaf and dumb alphabet, pointing at my eye for eye, and rubbing my hands across each other for H, and I spelled out, I have a... and she nodded her head at each word to show she knew what I was spelling. So I spelled out sulfur, because what I wanted to tell her was, I have a sulfur bag too. But when I got to S L U P H, she shook her head, and I had to begin again because she couldn't understand. I was standing up, and she was standing up, and she was standing so she looked right at me, and I spelled and spelled. Sometimes I began at the beginning and spelled I have sulph," and sometimes I spelled sulfur over and over, but she just shook her head each time and smiled and waited. She was awfully interested, and more and more scholars came in. Pretty soon they were all watching me and trying to spell what I was spelling, but nobody did, I guess. Mamie Little got awfully interested, and she was mighty eager to find out what I was trying to spell. Then all at once I knew why she couldn't tell. It was because she didn't have any sulfur bag on. So all at once I felt mighty cheap. There she was thinking I had something awfully important I was trying to tell her and she didn't have a sulfur bag and I was making a fool of her before the whole school because what would she think of me telling her I had a sulfur bag if she didn't have one and making such a fuss about it as if it was something wonderful like telling her her father was dead or something. Then all of a sudden, I remembered I was going to her yard the next day to help her with her playhouse and I felt worse than ever. The first thing she would want to know would be what I had tried to spell out, and if I told her, she would think I was crazy to make so much fuss about such a thing, and if I did not tell her, she would be mad at me forever and maybe talk about me to the other girls. I couldn't bear to think about it. I couldn't help thinking about it. So after school, I hurried away as fast as I could, and when Swati caught up with me, I told him I had changed my mind and that I would go fishing with him. So that is how Mamie Little helped catch Boney's burglar, if it hadn't been for Mamie Little not knowing how to spell sulfur, I wouldn't have gone fishing, and Swatty wouldn't have gone either, and the burglar wouldn't have been caught. So Saturday morning I got in enough wood for all day, and it wasn't much, because it was summer, and the kitchen wood was all I had to get in. Then I hunted up a new tin can, because when we get through fishing, we always throw the old one into the slough, because by that time the worms that are left are pretty bad. Sometimes, if the can has been in the sun, They're even worse than that. So I got a new can and went around to the other side of the barn, and the spade was there yet from the last time I had dug worms. So I dug some more. Just then Swati came into the yard, and he was ready to start. So my mother came to the back door with some sandwiches and things in a box, and I said, Oh, I don't want to carry a big box like that. Oh, I just want a couple of sandwiches in my pocket. Georgie, she said, you take this box. You'll be glad enough of everything that's in it. Me and Swati went up over the hill and down past the Catholic Church to South Riverbank, and we stopped at the pump on the corner and had a good drink and cooled off our feet in the mud under the pump spout because the sidewalks were hot. The water in the slough wasn't high, and it wasn't low. Once the slough ran through to the river at this end, but now it was all filled in with sawdust from the sawmill, and a big conveyor blowpipe kept blowing more sawdust into the slough from the mill, and all the surface of the slough was floating sawdust, Then a little further along it was water lily leaves. Then further along it was plain slough for miles and miles and miles. The water was three or four feet down from the top of the bank, and the bank was covered with pretty good grass. And all along the slough there was a path worn, because kids and fellows had fished in the slough ever since there was a river bank, and before that the Indians had fished in it, I guess. Everywhere, close to the edge of the bank in the shade of the trees, there were places worn smooth like an old chair seat where fellows had sat and fished for years and years until they were regular fishing places. When you saw one of them, you knew it was a good fishing place and that there was a bent root, all worn smooth and sometimes almost worn in two, part way down the bank to rest your feet on. It was all quiet and still, like a fishing place should be, except for the urr ur of the mills away off, or the caw-caw of crows, or once in a while somebody knocking the ashes out of a pipe against a root, across the slough or a little splash when somebody caught a fish, then everything would be quiet again. So me and Swati walked along down the path because we thought we would go as far as we had ever been, or farther this time. Once we stopped and ate most all of my lunch. It was nine o'clock, but we were mighty hungry. Then we went on. We got two or three miles down the slough, and most of the fishing places were empty there, and I wanted to stop. But Swati said, Ah, come on, let's go on down to the point. So we went. The point wasn't much of a point, but you felt more out in the slough when you were on it. There was a big water maple at the end of it, with fine roots to sit on, and I sat on some of the roots and fished, and Swatty sat on some others and fished. It was good and hot, and the slough smelled warm and weedy, and we liked it, because that was part of the regular fishing smell. There was just a little ripple, and the corks bobbed up and down gently. We set our poles among the roots, and just leaned back and felt good. Over across the slough was another point, but more rounded and bigger, and it was green and cool-looking, with grass and three big elms on it, and back in the fields a cow's bell jingled once in a while, and the crows cawed, and the sawmill hummed away off in the distance, and it got hotter and hotter. I watched my cork until it seemed to lose itself in the ripples, and my eyes got sleepier and sleepier, and the next thing I knew, I woke up and Swatty wasn't there. Neither was my cork. The first thing I did was give my pole a yank and out came a Jim Dandy goggle-eyed sunfish, just about as good as I ever caught. I held him so the stickers wouldn't sting me and got the hook out of him and strung him on a piece of twine and was tying the string to a root so the goggle-eye would be in the water when somebody down the slough a ways hawked, clearing the tobacco out of his throat, and I looked around and saw Swati coming back to the point, not making any noise. He held up a finger for me to be quiet and then he climbed out onto the roots of the maple and sat down. "'I caught a dandy goggle-eye, Swatty,' I whispered. He leaned over toward me. "'Don't make any noise,' he whispered. "'Boney is over on that point.' I looked, and I saw him. It was pretty far across the slough, and Boney couldn't hear us if we whispered. "'Well, he can't hear us, can he?' I whispered back. "'No,' Swatty said, and then he climbed over beside me and sat on a root.' "'There's a man down there,' he said, and he pointed. "'I heard him spit,' I whispered. "'I began to feel scary because there wasn't any use for Swati to be so whispery, "'unless there was something to feel scary at, was there? "'He's got Boney's father's signet ring,' Swatty whispered. "'Anyway, I guess he's got it. "'He's got a ring like what Boney says his father's ring is like. "'He's fishing, and he's got the ring on his thumb.' "'Well, then I knew what Swati had done.' While I was asleep, he had sneaked down to see what luck the man was having, and he had seen the ring. "'Gee!' I said. Swatty sat a while with his forehead wrinkled and looked at the slew, and he was thinking. "'Gosh!' he said. "'I'd like to be the one to get that fifty dollars. I wish I knew for certain it is Boney's bony's father's ring. Fifty dollars is a lot of money. If I had it, I'd put it in the bank.' "'What bank?' I asked him. "'The Savings Bank or the Riverbank National?' "'I guess maybe I'd put half in one and half in the other,' Swatty said. "'Then if one bank busted, I'd have half left anyway.' "'Well, if one did bust, maybe you'd get some of your money back,' I said. "'My father had money in a bank once, and it busted, and he got part of it back.' "'That's so,' Swatty said. "'If I put in twenty-five and the bank busted, maybe I'd get back fifteen of it. "'That would be forty dollars I'd have, even if the bank did bust. "'I'd like to have it.' "'So he sat there a while.' and the crows cawed, and the cowbell jingled, and it was quiet, and we didn't catch any more fish. "'If we hadn't got mad at Boney, he'd be over here,' Swatty said after a while. "'Well, what if he was?' I said. "'Well, he could sneak up and see if that ring is his father's ring, couldn't he?' said Swatty. "'Well, then,' I said, "'why don't you call to him to come over?' As soon as I said it, I knew it wasn't much to say, because it was two or three miles back to the end of the slough, and four or six miles, Boney would have to go to get around to us, and he wouldn't come anyway because he'd think maybe we wanted to lick him or something, and if we shouted what we wanted him for, the burglar would hear us and would get away from there mighty quick. I'm going over and get Boney. How are you going to get him? I asked. I'm going to row over, he said. You stay here and watch that man, and I'll go over and get Boney. Well, I guessed that if he said he would, he'd find some way to row over whether there was a boat or not, because that was the way Swatty was. When he wanted to do anything, he did it. So I looked down the slough, and I could see the end of the man's fish pole sticking out over the water, and his cork floating, and Swatty climbed onto the bank and took his fish pole and went up the slough. He had to go pretty far before he found a boat, and the boat he found was not much good. It was an old flatboat, and one end was busted some, and it was waterlogged. Swati had to stay away up in one end to keep the busted end out of water, and he paddled the best he could with a piece of fence board. He paddled out to the middle of the slough and stopped there and pretended to fish a while, and then he paddled a little nearer Boney and pretended to fish a while longer, and then he paddled ashore near where Boney was and got out of the flatboat and went up to Boney. For a while they sat together, and I guess Swati was talking to Boney about the ring and the fifty dollars and the man— "'and coaxing Boney to come to our side of the slough "'and see if it was his father's ring the man had on his thumb. "'So all the time I kept looking three ways, "'at Bony and Swatty, and at my cork, "'and at the end of the man's fishpole. "'And all at once when I looked, the man's fishpole wasn't there. "'It was gone. "'So I looked harder, but it was gone no matter how hard I looked. "'So then I knew Swatty would give me a whale of a licking "'if he came back and found out I had let the man get away "'while he was fetching Boney.' I climbed off the route and up the bank, and I was just starting to run to go where the man had been, when I saw him. He was right in the middle of the path near where he had been fishing, and he was bent down with his back toward me, picking up fish, because the string he had had them strung on had broken. He was stringing them again, and as he picked them up, I could see the ring on his thumb. Pretty soon, he had all his fish strung again, and then he straightened up and took a chew of tobacco and looked up into a tree that was right there, and I looked up and saw he had put his fish pole up the tree, so I guessed maybe he fished there pretty often, or was coming back sometime. So then he slouched off. I watched him. He was big, but he wasn't very old. Maybe he was twenty or thirty. His clothes were pretty old and faded, and he looked lazy in the arms and legs, and when he walked, he walked tired. He went down the pathways, and then he climbed over the fence there was along there, I went across the path and watched him from behind another tree. It was a plowed field there and he walked in a furrow clear across the field to the road that was on the other side and climbed over another fence. So I climbed up on my fence and watched to see where he would go. There were three little houses across the road and he went into the one on the end toward town. So then I guessed that was where he lived and I got down off my fence and went back to the point. Swati and Boney were in the boat, and Swati was paddling it as well as he could. But it was only halfway across. Then, all at once, Swati began to paddle harder. He paddled as hard as he could, and then I guess he said something to Boney, and Bony began to bail out the boat as fast as he could. Then Boney began to cry. I could hear him where I was, and Swati shouted at him and looked over his shoulder to see how far he had to paddle. Then Swati dropped his paddle stick and began to bail with his hat like he was crazy. Before I could see it almost, the old rotten flatboat took a dive and Swatty and Boney were in the water. Boney yelled and went under, but Swatty came right up, spitting water and kicking out with his hands. It was a good thing he was barefoot. Well, Swatty looked all around as soon as he got the water out of his eyes, but he couldn't see Boney. So he dived for him. There's one place nobody ever swims, and that is the slough. All you have to do is to look down into it anywhere, and you know why. All you see when you look down is seaweed. Tons and oceans of it, all tangled and twisty, and old trees and branches sticking around in it to get caught onto. When the slough is low, you can't row on it, because the seaweed grabs your oars and holds on like it was some mean man trying to drown your boat. It scares you. And all in among the seaweed are tough weeds and water lily stems and water vines. There have been plenty of boys drowned in the slough, I guess. So Boney had got caught in the weeds and vines and things. Pretty soon, Swati came to the top, but he didn't have Bony. but his arms were covered with seaweed. He spit out water and scraped the seaweed off his arms, and then he took his nose in his hand and dived again. That time he got him. He got him by one leg, and he swam for shore, dragging Boney behind him, and the seaweed strung out behind Bony. His head was all covered with it. I was crying pretty hard, I guess, so Swati told me to shut up, and he turned Boney over on his back and began scraping the seaweed off his face and Boney's face was scratched a good deal from the rough weeds, and maybe from where I had dragged him up the bank on his face. I thought he was dead, but Swatty didn't. He leaned down and listened to Boney's heart, and said all he needed was to be pumped out. So he started to pump him out. Swatty got down on his knees a straddle of Boney, took Boney's hands in his, and pumped him the way he had heard you he ought to pump a drowned person. He pushed Boney's arms clear back until they'd touched the ground over his head, and then he drew them forward until they touched the ground again, and he kept right at it. Every once in a while Swati would shake his head to shake the water out of his ears, but he went right on pumping. So I stood and blubbered. Well, no water pumped out of Boney. Swati pumped and pumped, but no water came out of Boney's mouth, and pretty soon Swati stopped and took a couple of deep breaths. Gosh, he said, I thought he would pump easier than that. So he pumped him again a few times and then stopped again. It looked as if it wasn't any use. I know what's the matter, Swati said. We've got to prime him. There ain't enough water in him to start unless he's primed. When our cistern is low at home, we have to prime it before the water starts pumping up, and that's what we've got to do. Well, I guess that was so. Our cistern pump was that way, too. So I took my bait can and washed it out good and clean and got a can of water and I primed Boney. I poured a little water in Boney's mouth, and Swati pumped. Prime him some more, Swatty said. So I primed him some more. Didn't seem to do any good. Ah, oh, prime him a lot, Swatty said. So I poured all the water I had in the can into Boney's mouth, and went and got some more. Keep on, Swatty said. He'll start pretty soon. We've got to get the water pumped out of him. So I was priming Boney again, when somebody behind us said, What are you trying to do to that boy? I looked around and Swati looked around. It was the man with the ring on his thumb. He's drowned, Swati said, and we're trying to pump him out. The man took a hold of Swati's shoulder and threw him almost into the fence. He stooped down, grabbed Boney, threw him across a big maple root, face down, and began to pump and pretty soon Boney began to pump out. The man pumped him pretty dry and then he put him in the sun and began to rub him good and after a while Boney opened his eyes. To see him open his eyes was one of the best things I ever saw. I was mighty glad I had helped to undrown him. Bony was pretty much wilted. Me and Swati didn't know how we would ever get him home, but we didn't have to. About one more can of water in this kid and he would have been gone for good, the man said. Now you help him onto my back and I'll get him home for you. We got Bony onto his back and Boney hung around his neck and the man held Bony's legs under his arms. He climbed the fence with him that way and started off across the plowed field and me and Swati went after him. We didn't even think about taking our fish poles along. We went across the field and the man stopped at his house and called his mother and she gave Bony some whiskey and hot water while the man went over to a farmer's house and got a team and a wagon. So while he was gone, Swati said to Bony, Is it? He meant the cardinal's signet ring. And was it it? Yes, it's it. Boney said, but not very loud. He was pretty much drowned yet. So we all went back to town in the farmer's wagon, me and Boney and Swatty and the man and the farmer kid that was driving. So Swatty sat with the farmer kid and talked to him. That man saved Boney's life, Swatty said. Who is he? Him? He's Lazy Joe, the farmer kid said. He's Lazy Joe Mulligan. He don't do nothing but fish and loaf. So then Swatty knew who the burglar was. We drove up to town and Swati told the farmer kid where to drive. Pretty soon we came to Boney's house. The man, Lazy Joe Mulligan, looked pretty funny, you bet, when we drove right up to the house he had burglared. He put his hand in his pocket and when he pulled it out the ring was gone. Come on, Swati said to me. Where to? I asked him. Down to Boney's father to get that fifty dollars, Swati said. So we went. Well, I guess we forgot to tell Boney's father about Boney being drowned and pumped out. We just told him we had the burglar up at his house and that we wanted the $50. And he rushed out and up the street and got a policeman and hurried to his house. Lazy Joe was there yet, telling Boney's mother how he had pumped Boney out. But the farmer kid wasn't there because Boney's mother had sent him down to get Boney's father. She wanted Boney's father to give Lazy Joe $5 or something for pumping Boney out. Then me and Swati and Boney's father and the policeman came in, and Boney's father was saying, Officer, arrest him. He's the man that stole my property. Old well, Boney's mother was saying, Edward, give him five dollars or something. He's the man that saved your son's life. How's that? asked Boney's father, and he was pretty much mixed. I thought this was the burglar. He is the burglar, said Swati. He's got the cardinal's ring in his pocket right now. I seen it, and Georgie's seen it, and Boney's seen it. Then Lazy Joe didn't know what to say. Then he said, I'll give everything back. So that was how they fixed it. Boney's father saved $55. He saved the $5 he ought to have given Lazy Joe for saving Boney's life. And he saved the $50 he ought to have given Swatty. So all me and Swatty knew next was that we were out on the street. We didn't have anything to show for catching the burglar. All we had was what Boney's father said. What he said was, Get out of here, you little rats. Be thankful you haven't my child's death on your shoulders. Well, I was going, but Swatty stood right there. No, sir, he said. I won't go. You can cheat us out of $50 reward, maybe, but you've got to give back the diamond ring this burglar has that belongs to Herb and Fan. you got to give that back because it ain't yours. Have you got a ring like that? The policeman asked Lazy Joe. Yes, he said, and he took it out of one of his pockets. So Swatty took it, and we skipped out. We went right over to my house, because it was dark by now, and I went to Fan and told her we had her ring for her. I didn't know what I would say when she asked me where I got it, but she didn't ask. She just went to her drawer and got out $15 and gave it to me and didn't say anything. Only when I went out of the room, I heard her bed creak sudden, and I knew she had sort of thrown herself down on it, broken-hearted, like in a novel. End of chapter 6